2020. Oh, let me, uh, let me um, start the webinar because uh, we're not quite live yet. Oh, I guess we have started. It's a recording in progress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that the, the the participants, attendees are logging on now. So um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'd like to call to order the Tuesday, February 21st, 2023 meeting of the Planning Commission. Um, could we get a roll call, please? Sure. Commissioner Moore? Here. Commissioner Kelly? Here. Commissioner Castrides? Uh, Mr. Castrides is absent for now. Uh, Commissioner Ratto? Commissioner Crawford? Here. Vice Chair Ginn? Present. And Chairman Goff. Here. All right, that's five commissioners and two absences so far. Um, so we have a quorum. We're good for now. Okay, that brings us to the Pledge of Allegiance. Everybody in their own way, stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance to themselves. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Flag, United States of America, to the Republic, for the stand, one nation, under God, indivisible, liberty, and justice for all. All right. Okay. That brings me to one of my favorite topics. <laughs> uh, so we can adopt findings to the remote teleconferencing meetings for the Alameda County. Um, I'm gonna give my spiel one more time. Uh, I, I'm really not in favor of this. And I looked over the findings again, and according to the paperwork that we've received in our packet, nothing has been said by the Board of Supervisors on paper since September 28, 2021. Um, and these are supposed to be determining a vote in person that would present imminent risks to health and safety. You know, the, the county closes the road, it's because it's unsafe to drive on, um, because that's an imminent risk. I also have one more thing. Uh, we received a, a town hall meeting coming up here in the East County. Uh, and that's just the topic, but I've talked to a lot of people trying to get encouragement and everything else, but a lot of my response is, well, my internet can't stream, this and that. And I, I just, we have town hall meetings out here for traffic and 50 people show up. And I bet you money we don't get that many on a Zoom meeting. But anyway, that's my opinion. Um, everybody else is entitled to theirs. Uh, if there's anybody who wouldn't like to make a comment, I say we take a vote. I, we're going in person at the next meeting, right? So this is the last time. That's news. Yeah, there there is um, things are changing uh, in terms of the uh, from the state on down to the county. Um, my understanding, and um, is that the you know, the public health officer is supposed to rescind, you know, whatever it's called. I can't remember if it's a state of emergency or a public health advisory or whatever it is, um, also beginning the 1st of March. So uh, conceivably, yeah, we will be doing in-person meetings in, in March. There is, um, um, you know, the, the direction from the county is for us to go hybrid as, as soon as we can. Um, for example, they're already testing the program for I think there's a Cache Valley Mac meeting on Monday. That's at the library, of course. 
in our own room, um, we're uh, able to do in-person meetings. There's still some hardware that's, I guess, on order for full hybrid, which means, you know, allowing people to to patch in remotely and all that. Um, and so I think that at the next meeting, um, we're pushing for that to be in person. Uh, whether or not it's going to be hybrid or not is still up in the air a little bit, but um, that is the plan for now. Um, when, okay. Heather, when, when Heather was here, if I understood what she was saying is the state is mandating that we go in person after March 1st. Yes. So it really doesn't have anything to do with what the county officer gets their act together on in time or not. The state is mandating this. So it sounds like it sounds you sound a little bit amb ambiguous. And where, you know, when we went over this before, it was pretty clear the, the state law changed and we have to meet in person after March 1st. So something else changed and there's a maybe in there or or what? Well, you know, I'm not trying to be vague. I think that it's it's been a little bit of a moving target. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a number of rooms that we that we use to staff all the way from East County to the Castro Valley Library to, to our own hearing room. And so my understanding is your understanding as well, is that after March 1st, you know, the, the way that we used to do it in terms of hybrid actually is not going to be possible um, any longer. And so um, we have that, but also we have the desire from our board that we allow people to call in and you know zoom in as well. You know the hybrid, the hybrid meeting, and so um, at a minimum, we're hoping for in-person meetings in March. But uh, what I was saying is that the part I was being a little unsure about was whether or not we would be fully able to do um, hybrid at that point. Oh, okay. Um, and um, but uh, also I, I saw that Andrea from County Council was also in the meeting at. I think she had her hand up. I'm not sure, Andrea, if you wanted to speak on this item. If I could be recognized, I just, um, so Andrea Weddle, Office of the County Council, our office has been doing a number of trainings for various boards and commissions regarding the options that are available to them starting March 1st. And that is the date that we anticipate that um, AB 361 and the current process that you are using will no longer be available. I, I don't want to go into any uh, great detail because this is not an agendized item, but I do want to let you know that there are uh, at least three other options available to you as a board or commission going forward under the law as it currently is exists, and, it, and it, will, it will actually transition out of place as we go from traditional rules and other rules going forward. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that we, we haven't organized a presentation for you. Um, to give you some more details. And I don't know if you meet again, likely not before March is here. So uh, perhaps we can get you some training material and, and uh, some written material that you can look at in between meetings and share that with you. So I apologize for that. Thank you. Any other comments from any board members? Andy's got his hand up. Oh, I, I'm on a different device today again, so didn't see it. Sorry, Andy. No, that's fine. I, um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little frustrated that our next meeting is in person and we don't know what the rules are when we're doing that. I don't understand why we can't talk about that during this item. This item seems very broadly discuss yeah. the state of COVID and how it impacts the Planning Commission's ability to meet. Yeah. I also don't know 
why if there are options it wouldn't be within the planning commission's jurisdiction to decide the method and meaning of our next meeting and why that would be a staff decision without giving the commission an update or a chance for input so it's a little frustrating to me that we don't know this has been a known deadline for a long time i mean the city's struggling with it too so i understand it's a challenging situation but we're not talking about what's happening nine months from now we're talking about what's happening in two weeks from now at our next meeting right so mr kelly i i, I again i i have apologized i will apologize again our office is uh, about 25 percent understaffed and so we've been doing training presentations um kind of on request or as as indicated i i I don't want to go too far afield because I'm I'm not staffing this meeting and I'm not really prepared to give you any great uh, elaborate presentation on on this. I, I can tell you that the the traditional teleconference rules remain in play and do not appear that they will ever go away. And that is, if you want to participate remotely and you are comfortable enlisting the address and location where you will be participating from as being open to the public, it is included on an agenda posted at that location for the 72 hours prior to the meeting and if a citizen shows up at your door and says i want to participate and join the meeting from this location you will allow them and your premises are ada compliant then that option remains in play and so um, that that is the traditional rule um, the ab361 rule as we've been doing it where you can call in from anywhere and everywhere we don't have to have a physical location will go away on February 28th when the state of emergency goes away. There is a new option called AB 2449 that allows members to participate remotely if there's just cause, and that is a heavily defined term, or an emergency cause, which is also heavily defined terms. Both of those approaches have limitations on how many times you can trigger those. Um, but the tricky part about those two options and the, the 2449 process is, that you must have a majority, uh, so a quorum of your body physically in one physical location. So at least a, a quorum will have to be present. And of course, the other option is that everyone does in fact appear in person for, for the meetings. Um, and so there's a lot of technology that has to happen for 2449 and that we have to continue uh, to make a physical space available for the citizens who want to show up, but we also have to have a, a, a two-way platform like a Zoom or similar available um, and or as we have with a broadcast and a phone call-in option. So that technology still has to exist as well. So that's a real nutshell encapsulation mm -hmm. of the various options. And, and again, I apologize that we haven't uh, presented and, and I can um, you know, we can share a presentation that we've done for other groups and, and share that with you and hopefully that will inform your decisions. Thank you. Um, and I apologize for missing the last meeting and hearing the discussion on this topic. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, can we take a We'll call on this item. Well, so uh, do we have to make a motion on this one? Or just? Yes. Yeah, so I'll move to adopt the findings to uh, authorize the remote teleconference meetings. I'll second it. Okay, we got a motion and a second. Now let's take a roll call. Commissioner Moore. Aye. Commissioner Kelly. Aye. 
Commissioner Crawford? I'd normally be opposed, but if I oppose this, it shuts down the meeting, so I'll, I'll agree. Okay, uh, Commissioner Ginn? Aye. And Chairman Goff? I'll represent you, Mark, and I'll vote nay. <laughs> um, and I really, I really, really hope that the next meeting is in person. Otherwise, I have a feeling there might be a problem. So, okay, let's move on. That brings us to um, announcements by the chair. Uh, I have none. Brings us to the open forum part of the meeting. Um, I want to say up front, I, I'm looking at four people and I have to scroll to see more. So if somebody sees somebody's hand up that I don't see, please tell me. Uh, but as far as the open forum goes, Albert, is there anybody with their hands up for, to speak in the open forum? Uh, there is. Um... S.Y. Hung is the uh, speaker. You're um, you're you're on the you're on the line. Sorry, you have three minutes to speak. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, good afternoon, Planning Commissioner. Uh, my name is uh, Sheng Yan Hong. Um, my family loves the Ashland uh, Hugh neighbor and has been living here for 13 years and vote in Alameda County elections. Uh, I think the ADU, the accessory dwelling unit, are a great way to add some much needed housing without uh, drastically changing the neighborhood characteristic. Um, I appreciate what the county has done to streamline the process, but there's one minor way where the county is in disagreement with the state rule. And this is where I am here to raise the concern because this one little technical discrepancy could cause a lot of unintended damages to homeowner in Alameda County. Uh, specifically, I'm concerned with the government code, the CA government code uh, 65852.2 uh, subdivision uh, E1A uh, and it's subdivision one, uh, which allows ADU and one JADU to be permitted within the lot, um, within the existing space of a, a single family dwelling. Uh, I myself is a mom and pop house owner, try to add a unit for my family member with aging issues. Um, I am filing a building permit uh, to the public works agency, try to convert a portion of my existing house into an ADU. I also wanted to add a JADU within the existing crawl space under subdivision E. Um, uh, uh, if you're curious that my, my house is on a hillside um, within the existing wall. So I see nothing that this code stopping me from developing my project. In fact, I already reached out to the California HCD um, and they, um, which they developed the housing policy and building code. Uh, they, they are housing specialists. Um, uh, uh, Michael McLaughlin written to me by email confirming that the state code allows the homeowner to get permit for all three types of ADU in any combination of the following, a detached ADU, a JADU, 
um, a convert part of the existing home and also a uh, attach ADU or converted ADU um, uh, outside of, of the house premises. Uh, meanwhile, the, the, the Alameda County planning refused my proposal to add much needed housing to your district and um, insist on their interpretation. I believe the county took a over-conservative reading uh, and missed the intent of the code. And I want to, I, I'm here to raise the concern with the planning commission, and I want you to take the helm and correct the planning, uh, uh, the planning department immediately. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Albert, do you have any advice for him? Um, well, I think that uh, this is something that, that can be agendized, if you'd like, uh, for us to take a look at um, how we interpret the state code as relates to ADUs and JADUs. I, I believe I, I did hear from this about this one from staff is I mean, our interpretation is that you, you can't take a single family home and have both an, a, a, an ADU and a JADU and the principal home all within the same envelope. Um, you certainly can have all three on the site, but but in that particular configuration, the ADU has to be uh, detached. So um, it is a question that that is of, of interpretation, something that we can agendize if you'd like to speak further about it. Yeah, I, I think we should. I mean, I I thought what the gentleman had said was the the correct way. And my my understanding with other jurisdictions when we work on that is that you you could have a house, you can convert a crawl space or a garage into a JADU and have a detached ADU. I I thought you could have them all. Well, no, you can. Um, I think with this pop this proposal was having all three in one building envelope. And I I I think you could. I thought you could do that too. Well, I think that's the, that's the part that we're not in agreement with. Um, um, you know, we read it slightly different, and you know, there seems to be huh. support for what where staff's coming from. And we certainly want to be flexible and allow ADUs pursuant to state law. Um, but this may be part of the law that's maybe not clear, or um, there's just not enough, you know, case study to support it. But happy to to bring it back as an item to discuss further. Can we, put it, can we yeah. put it on the next agenda so this gentleman can come to the meeting and yeah. get some resolution to his problem? Yeah, I, mean, I think that would be helpful. I agree. Yeah, and I'd love to present some uh, background information in a more formal way uh, so you guys can read it ahead of time. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay, just send it in and address it to us. We'll be we'll for sure get it. Yeah, uh, if you can right. uh, give me uh, the email address, including all the um, uh, commissioner's email, so I can forward that to to everyone if, for reading. If you just forward it to the planning department, it'll get there. All right, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, um, Albert, is there any other hands up? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, so next speaker is uh, Mike, Mike Frederick. Mike, you have three minutes. Hi, um, maybe with a small amount of irony, I lost uh, connectivity uh, for a short time during your discussion of um, a point D on the agenda. But did you, did you uh, take action on that without calling for public input? 
That's all I had to say. We did, and I apologize for that. It seems to be a lot of confusion on that. Once again, it's good. The last it'll be the last time we're dealing with it. Okay. No more Anybody? speakers on on this item. Pardon me. No more speakers on the open forum. Uh, just on that issue as a matter of policy. I mean, he's right. We did take action without public comment. I mean, should we theoretically? I mean, does it matter? Is it a moot point, or should we clean up the record and just ask for public comment? We are actually allowed to ask for public comment after a vote, as weird as that sounds. So it would not be inappropriate for the chair to reopen public comment on an item we've already passed. I mean, I think we should. I mean, even if no one says anything, uh, we, we didn't do it right. So we should follow the rules. Okay. I I kind of agree. And hopefully it's the last time we have to deal with it. Yeah. So at this point in time, if anybody besides that gentleman would like to have their three minutes on item D for the findings for teleconferencing, please raise your hand. We have the same speaker. Actually, no, there's two people who want to speak on that item. Okay. Um, Mr. Frederick? Hi, yes, and I did want to mention this. I I actually sit on two county um, boards, and we're facing somewhat similar uh, issues. I'm, I just find it almost unacceptable not to have some kind of remote access to these meetings, um, and especially a meeting that might be, let's say, farther north in the county. I don't know where actually you um, uh, held your meetings in the past, but Zoom or I hate to say call in because I think it's very inferior, really gives the public much more access to these councils and these commissions that they wouldn't have otherwise. People can't, what time is it now? It's uh, 3.30 almost in the af afternoon. People aren't able to take off, drive somewhere, you know, sit around for, uh, for an hour or so, and then be able to speak for three minutes. They're not going to do that where, uh, you know, I don't work, I'm retired, but I could have, you know, if I really wanted to um, speak at one of these meetings, I could have slipped out to my car and done it on my phone and then be back at work in 15 minutes. And you should, I understand there's, there seems to be two sides to this one that really feels physical meetings are an absolute necessity. But I, I really think that Zoom and the remote uh, meetings that have been held for the last few years really have opened up uh, local government and, and county government to people that otherwise wouldn't be involved. That's all I wanted to say. Thanks. Thank you. And Albert, the next one. Next speaker, S.Y. Hung. Hi, I, hi. I don't, I don't uh, plan to speak on this issue before, but uh, when I uh, hear that, I completely agree with the gentleman before. Before me, uh, I wouldn't have made it to this meeting uh, without the the support of Zoom and the um, the the um, uh, uh, the online feature of this meeting. Uh, I I'm uh, I'm working from home right now. I take a 15 minute break to attend the meeting. I have a crying baby downstairs. 
and it's just impossible for me to to come out so i appreciate uh you guys decided or will be decided on 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 voting yes uh, and really encourage you to uh give the citizen an option to uh attend these meetings through zoom uh it will be the best if you can do it hybridly um so if someone wants to come in with some evidence uh with uh with a big poster board want to show it to you guys they can so um uh i i, I want to uh i i want to take it from here thank you thank you hi there's no more speakers I see you, Mark. You are one of the people that's on my floor. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's because lucky, we got lucky me. Uh, I just want to make sure we set the record straight here. I didn't hear any commissioner saying that we should not have Zoom or hybrid meetings. I think the opposition, especially the Jim and I have had, is that the in-person meetings have been held hostage to this hybrid capability. And uh, I, I have no problems with having hybrid going forward. And if it allows more people to participate, I think that's great. I don't think any other commissioners feel otherwise on that. Um, I just felt like there was no longer this state of emergency that was legitimate that required us to be uh, meet hybrid and that we should be able to go back to in-person. And you know, those that wanna come, come. Those that wanna go on Zoom, go on Zoom. But I, I just these two comments, it's, it's, it's kind of making it sound like we said something like we don't want hybrid and that was never the case, so. Thank you, Mark. Okay, seeing no more hands up, Albert, on this open forum, we're gonna move on to field trip report. I know we don't have field trips, um, but I did visit um, the old El Taco, just to say that I, I did. Um, that brings us to co committee reports. We do have, we do have a committee report. Did you meet? How'd you do that? We met. That's right. We we met, and uh, can I share the screen here? Sure. Uh, let's see. Okay, so you have, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what you're looking at exactly. It doesn't show you on Zoom, but uh, you should have uh, basically the report of our um, meeting on 216.23. Is that what you're looking at? Uh, we one and done, lot size consistency and private streets. It looks like some notes from a... Uh... The, the meeting date is right here, 216.23? No. I can't see that. No. I would I would just scroll down on your actual document and whatever you're seeing, we should be able to see. Let me switch here. I've got I've got two word documents open. I apologize for uh, not being an expert at this. All right, let me take another stab at this. 
So when you pick a window, these windows are tiny. Okay, there we go. That should be right now. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So the other document, which I don't need to go through because it took too much time here already, is uh, you know the work product that we are working on with staff. There were a number of subjects in there that we were looking at. Um, and two of those were uh, lot size consistency in private streets. Um, upon uh, meeting, uh, we agreed unanimously that there's really three issues that we need to look at, um, you know, pretty much right away at this point. And uh, site development review is is essentially at the top of the list. And the, the the change that we're recommending would be only to require site development review when a project does not comply with either the general plan, specific plan, design guidelines, or zoning ordinance. And the possible benefits of this would be an expedited approval of projects that comply with the standards. Uh, we would have a greater reliance on the approved plans, standards, guidelines, and ordinances that we've spent so much time putting in place. Uh, this would be a more efficient use of staff time because some of these SDRs are taking years. And the reason that we're given often is uh, there's not enough staff to process them. Um, and, you know, this would basically show Alameda County is taking proactive steps to address the housing crisis and um, basically the log jam and getting um, residential projects approved in Alameda County. Uh, that would be the recommendation for site development review for lot size consistency. The verbiage in blue there was the verbiage that we had worked on uh, when we were working with staff on this. Um, the, the proposal that we're putting forward would be to eliminate lot size consistency um, entirely and simply defer to the minimum lot sizes for uh, where a project happens to be located. So if you're in a 5,000 square foot you know, lot zoning, you can get 5,000 square foot lots. It doesn't have to be this very confusing analysis of all the properties around, and, and but some of them don't count. Uh, and, and this has really been an issue that especially appointed bodies like the MACs uh, have a hard time grasping. Um, I mean, I've been confused by it before. I think I got a grasp on it. And then I read a staff report and I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't match what I thought was my grasp. So we don't, honestly, we just don't have the luxury of lot size consistency anymore with the housing crisis we're in. We need to simplify it, streamline it, and sometimes just this analysis alone is half of the staff report. So once again, it would be a more efficient use of staff time. Uh, everybody would know going into it exactly what it is uh, and it would clean things up. On private streets, um, you know, the blue verbiage once again is what we talked about with staff, develop a clear policy for public versus private streets. Um, so there's a couple of things that need to happen there, but specifically require private streets, require public streets when a project is greater than so many parcels. And we can figure out what that number needs to be. Um, and then, you know, there, there would also be sort of a caveat there that private roads may be allowed if uh, by public works when a public street requirement would have a detrimental effect on the development yield, depending on how um, parcels configured, you know, you if you have a public street, you can cut the number of parcels in half with that requirement alone. Um, so the proposal from the subcommittee is just to basically ask the full commission to ask staff to take this on the road and get public comment from the MACs 
um, all the Macs. And, and also, I think it'd be a good idea that this go to uh, the Agricultural Advisory Committee. Um, I'm not sure what what body there is in East County, um, you know, in the wine country area there that it could go to. I guess staff could could figure that out. Uh, it's, it's just kind of escaping me as to what body that would be if there is a body that exists out there for, for something like this. But basically, take it on the roadshow, bring it back to the commission, and the commission can decide at that time to make a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors uh, on, you know, what to do on these three topics. That's the report from the streamlining, permit streamlining subcommittee. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, as far as, you know, oh, it just happened. What's today? 21st. Um, it's too bad we all didn't get a copy of that ahead of time so we could wrap our head around it a little bit more. We don't even have to decide today. I mean, I can send this out and you know to the commissioners they can take a look at it we can put it on our next agenda whatever you know commissioners are comfortable with um i'm just bringing it to you at this point to show this is how far we got and it's the full commission's you know option to move forward from here okay and maybe the information on where the meeting was who attended and that type of stuff too well it was just a zoom meeting you know we had clarified with staff as to whether um you know, we needed to meet with staff or not. And uh, the, the conversation that I had with Albert about it was we were just going to meet as a subcommittee. So we met on Zoom. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we get that to us for our next meeting and then hopefully take some of your recommendations and do as you say. Andy's got his hand up. Thank you for that. I just wanted to say, um, this looks like good progress. And um, I think some of the points that you raise around feasibility. I also think the lot, the lot size consistency piece with all of the new state housing laws, it's not just, if you have lot, let's say you have it and it works out easily and it's doable, but then someone puts an ADU on one side of the property and someone else does an SB9 lots, you're not gonna end it, Starting out with good lot line, similar sizes, you're not going to end up that way in a way where, you know, in the, in the past, you can preserve that for the neighborhood. Now, individual property owners have so much options for what they can do on their own individual properties, you're still going to end up with functionally variable density. So yeah. I think that the virtue that people had for lot line consistency, which was maybe a good argument at some point is a lot weaker now and practically it's only gonna be round one that you keep it in. And I think a lot of these lots, especially in that size category are very likely targets for people to add backyard units or side structures. So I think that's another part of it to consider. Um, Go ahead, sorry. I did just wanna make sure as we're getting into like more recommendations coming out from the subcommittee that we're clear that we're noticing everything correctly. Um, I mean, this is asking people for feedback and then asking other people for feedback, but I'm not exactly sure what our requirements are. If we have to include, you know, does the public have to be notified of subcommittee meetings? I don't think we need to have a big to do over asking the backs to give us feedback about something we're thinking about doing. But if this comes back and it's actionable, I just don't want us to end up in a position where we take a vote 
on something and we realized we didn't notice it correctly. And it would probably be good for us to get clarity on that from staff since we don't really have a very active subcommittee structure. I agree. Jeff, I saw your hand up. Oh, I was just going to acknowledge what Andy said. It's just an evolution. And I thought a lot of these old, you know, restrictions were, they're just old and they need to evolve just to keep, you know, keep in touch with the new reality. So it's kind of acknowledging uh, the same thing that uh, Andy had said. Yeah, it, going back to, to the structure, noticing if, if we're, you know, if we need to be noticing these, uh, then we need to go back to doing them with staff, obviously, because staff is the are the folks that do the noticing. Um, but at the last discussion on this, um, you know, the direction, at least the interpretation that, that Albert had, and I, I agreed with him, was that the commission, you know, stated that we were to meet on our own and come back with recommendations to the full commission, which we've done. If that structure isn't proper, then we can make changes for anything going forward. Um, like I said, I don't think that we're trying to get a vote on anything today. I think we're just bringing back what we came up with um, and it can go on our next agenda. So if people want to comment on it before the commission takes a vote on something one way or the other, even take a vote on whether to forward it to you know the max at this point. Um, the other thing too, I just wanted to kind of throw in there was you know, the county we, commissioners may not be aware of this yet, but the county is working on ob, uh, objective standards, which is another requirement in state law. So they're going through the design guidelines and various other documents, you know, taking subjective standards and, you know, turning them into objective standards. And that's going to take, you know, quite a bit of ambiguity out of the system, depending on how it's completed. Um, but once that is completed, they're just, you know, I looked at the subject, the objective standard for lot size consistency, and it was, it was essentially a, a regurgitation of what we do presently, you know, and, and it was, you know, I think it's just going to be even more uh, confusing. Um, and the comments that Andy made, uh, you know, are certainly relevant as well with the way lots are going to be split going forward, ADUs and such, it's just going to be that much more complicated to do lot size consistency. And like I said, the, the Macs are already having trouble with it. Staff will explain it. They don't get it. They'll make the comment. This project is, you know, these lots are too small for the neighborhood and they'll vote against it. So they'll use lot size consistency to vote against it because they don't understand it. So it's, it's just another thing that needs to be cleaned up at this point and streamlined. Well, thanks for meeting you guys. Um, right. What I'm hearing is that um, maybe what we need to do is on the agenda itself is just maybe just put one sentence that say, you know, the planning commission will consider a recommendation on changing site development review, lot size consistency, private street standards, um, so that, you know, the public is aware of what the subcommittee is actually going to be recommending on or that the planning commission will be recommending on. Um, that seems like it would offer enough uh, notification for the agenda, at least. Sounds good. You're talking agreed. about- I'll just chime in to say agreed. You, the agenda, you know, just needs to give enough notice to the public of what the commission will be speaking of. So that sentence, Albert, it would be sufficient. Okay. 
Could we get clarification from County Council while we have them here, whether or not we have to notice subcommittee meetings or if there's any requirements thereof? Um, my understanding for the planning or for this particular depends on how the, the subcommittee is organized. It, it's case by case, but so my understanding of this meeting was that no, it was not meant to be noticed. There was not a quorum. There was not um, a, a reason for it to be, you know, no actions were decided at it. So it did not need to be noticed, but that is a case by case. Sometimes depending on bylaws, they need to be noticed. Sometimes they do not. Um, for this one, it sounds like it just did not need to be noticed. Okay, so it's kind of treated like two commissioners getting together, sharing some ideas to bring to the group for discussion. Yes. And it sounds like it was at the commission's direction to get together to talk about some discrete issues. So it was. Thank you. Sorry if I'm confused. We have different rules at the city, and I've been told they're based on the Brown Act. So I'll have to look into it on our side. I just want to make sure we're not going to pass something and then get sued and have to do it again. No, I appreciate it. And it, it does also just matter because you're a bigger commission. There's seven of you. So sometimes, you know, that also comes into effect and also your own bylaws. So there are many, many rules we all have to navigate every day. So, so it sounds like we're okay so far. So I just want to clarify, Albert, with what you had just stated, it, you know, verbiage that you're going to put on the next agenda uh, is not the planning commission is going to consider making these changes. I think it should be the planning commission is going to consider whether to send these potential changes out on the roadshow. That would be the decision that the commission would make and not, I don't want to freak the public out and thinking that we're actually going to make a decision on these at a, at a single planning commission meeting. Cause these are, <laughs> these are, these are three things that are controversial all by themselves one by one. Uh, so I just want to make sure we are clear on that. Andy. I just wanted to add, if we could, maybe if other commissioners are comfortable add to the private streets conversation, like the cost. And, you know, when we get asked to decide at the planning commission whether or not something should be a public or private street, it's not super common, but it does happen. And it's like, it's not just about how it affects the design. It's also then the, the county has to maintain it and public works has to be involved. And it's, it's been really unclear to me if it remains a subjective decision, what we're supposed to base that decision on or what the overall policy is. Because we'll hear from public works that they have a general desire for as many streets to be public as possible. Well, if it's just, it seems like it's very, um, and maybe it should be very case by case, but it doesn't seem very clear to me what our guiding principles are for which, you know, our commission isn't really the streets commission, but then we become the streets commission when we start deciding streets for the subdivisions and how that all lines up and sidewalk requirements and things like that has been a little confusing to me in the past. Okay. I'm excited that we had some discussion under permit streamlining. I thought it was just another type on the agenda. We wanted looking, to surprise you, Jim. Looking forward to it, actually. <laughs> I think it's a great idea and that's why we started this mess. Anyway, that brings us to uh, thank you again for meeting. It brings us to the approval of minutes in which I wasn't there, so I have no comments. Is there any other comments or? I'll move approval of the minutes. 
I'll second. Okay, we got a motion and a second. Can we get a roll call, please? Uh, is there public comment required for this? I don't believe so. Never have for the minutes. No. Okay. Uh, roll call on the minutes. Uh, Commissioner Moore? Aye. Commissioner Kelly? Aye. Commissioner Crawford? Aye. Vice Chair Ginn? Aye. And Chairman Goff? I abstain. I wasn't there. All right. The minutes uh, pass 4 0 uh, with one abstention. Okay, that brings us to the consent calendar in which I see nothing agendized. That brings us to the regular calendar. If we get a staff report on item number one, please. Yeah, sure. If uh, uh, Commissioner Crawford could stop sharing the screen so I could put up a PowerPoint. Oh, sorry. Uh, like I said, I'm... maybe I can might be able to just kind of. There we go. Oh, there it is. Okay. <clears throat> First, I want to just put the agenda back up, make sure that uh, the folks in the audience can see the item that we're talking about. This is um, application number PLN 2022 00248. Uh, Sophia Limnios is the applicant. This is appeal, an appeal of a plan director decision denying an existing non-conforming status uh, for an existing drive-through lane that's located in, in downtown Castro Valley at uh, 2788 Castro Valley Boulevard. Um, and the parcel number is on there. And this is not a uh, project under the California Environmental Quality Act. And so um, I do have a short uh, PowerPoint to show you for this one. Is that all visible? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oops. Oh, how about now? Yes. Okay. Uh, so this uh, this is an interesting one in that it's uh, an old drive-through located um, at the building that's on the on the screen. You can kind of see the drive-through um, on the bottom left-hand side of the of the of the graphic here of the picture. Um, this has been a variety of different businesses over the years. I think that building's been there um, since the 70s or 80s, maybe even before that. Um, the issue really is whether or not the drive-through lane is a continues to be a uh, legal non-conforming use or activity. Our code says that if a, a non-conforming use or activity is uh, stops for more than six months, then you lose the non-conforming status of the of the use itself. Uh, the uh, the building was built prior to the downtown specific plan, which states um, uh, which prohibits uh, new drive-throughs from being established. And so, the question really is is whether or not you know they've lost their non-conforming status. We believe the staff believes that they have, um, and I'll just go through the uh, the PowerPoint for you here. Again, this is just some uh, information about where the project is located and the zoning for that. Um, again, this is in downtown Castro Valley in sub-area five. Um, it looks like the drive-through window was installed with the building permit in 83. Uh, a couple of years later, the specific plan included the prohibition of driving businesses. Uh, 1993, the plan's updated and it continues that prohibition. 
And so there, you know, there is a, uh, I would say, probably a longstanding sort of land use and zoning um, trend that was around that time in the 80s and 90s when a lot of uh, jurisdictions were um, were uh, prohibiting or limiting drive-throughs. At that point, it was, um, you know, they were considered mostly related to fast food, and there was a, a little bit of a, I guess, a, a blowback on on um, a pushback on fast food. So. Anyway, our local code was reflective of that, and there was a prohibition of driving businesses. Um, and so um, the specific- I'm, I'm sorry, Albert, can I interrupt for a moment? Does anyone sure. else see a give subtitles a try in the middle of the screen? Yes, I do. We do. Yeah. Oh, oh, there we go. Okay, great. Thank you. Sorry, Albert, if you could keep going. Part of the screen was obstructed for a minute. I'm sorry about that. I uh, I guess can you, is it bigger now than it was? Yeah, great. Thank you. Okay, sorry about that. Um, and so the uh, the appellant, I mean, they're a new business. I believe they want to. Um, uh, they're they're doing tenant improvements now. I just drove by there last week, and they're you know they got uh, work going on in there with permits to reestablish a business there. And they want to use uh, the drive-through window. Uh, the appellant uh, believes that, or is um, stating that the drive-through window has been in constant use. Although it looks like, from our research, that some of the previous restaurants um, did not focus on the, the drive-through window as a service or some, a feature of the business. Um, and so we believe that you know there hasn't been a, the last six months have not been in use, and likely you know going many years back into the past. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of public comment um, at the MAC, which I I, was, I didn't know if I, that's on the next, I'm sorry, the next slide. I'm sorry, I think I missed a slide. This actually shows what the specific plan says. Um, and so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're basing our determination on just going back with an old Google Maps and photographs that we had of the site. Um, uh, but Google actually was a really good source for this because you can kind of go back into the past, as well as looking at menus from the previous businesses um, that have been in that um, in that on the premises there. Um, I think I talked about that already. So the the Castro Valley Mac looked at this. It was a four three vote recommending to um, recommending denial of the appeal and and agreeing with the with the staff that this has lost its non-conforming status. So the appellant is now um, uh, appearing at your board uh, since you are the uh, sort of the, the decision-making body, not sort of, but you are the decision-making body on this kind of a planning director determination appeal. Um, and at the MAC, there was one attendee in favor of the appeal. And then there was somebody that was opposed to it um, with some traffic concerns that were cited at that time. Um, and, you know, this is just showing you that the um, building permit was issued in 83, allowing the drive-through to be established, um, an actual elevation of the drive-through window itself. And then, um, for example, here's a street view from 2011 showing that the window, the drive-through window is covered up. And this was a Korean barbecue place at the time. Um, and there's no signage that says, like, you know, go to the drive-through or anything like that. And uh, this is a um, uh, another food establishment that also didn't look like they were promoting the drive-through um, either. And so um, our contention is that um, you know, like again, through the photographs and the menus that don't advertise drive-through service, it doesn't seem like the the drive-through 
has been in use. There was one aerial photo recently showing there was a car parked there, but we don't know if that was for just, they were just parked there or if they were actually using a window. Um, so uh, it looks like it's been mostly not used and used. Um, again, our code says, you know, the last six months. And so we're contending that it has not been used in the last six months. Um, and again, another aerial from 2007 showing um, the business of the drive-through lane. And a more recent photo, um, and and that's the end of the of the uh, the PowerPoint. And so the recommendation from staff is that we de determine that the the drive-through window is a is no longer a legal non-conforming use, and that it not be available for use for the new business. Again, the MAC voted four three. Um, in support of that decision, there seemed to be some um, acknowledgement that it might be a good idea to revisit our drive-through window policies. But again, the, the specific plan is pretty clear on the prohibition for new driving businesses. So with that, I'll wrap up the presentation and be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you, Albert. Is there any questions of Albert on this? Andy's got his hand up. Yep. Go ahead, Andy. I think staff did a tremendous amount of research. Um, you know, what a great ability to go back 10 years and take a picture on the sidewalk, you know, um, and looking at menus and things I think is above and beyond, though I'm not sure a menu in a sit-down restaurant would tell you that they also have a drive-through, but I think it's a good thing to look at generally. Um, I mean, the specific plan's goal is to get rid of drive-throughs as the business's turnover. Six months is a really short really short time period in my opinion so i guess the question i would have is just what's the crux of the appeal other than disagreeing are they arguing that it was, it was any physical or testimonial evidence provided that while the lot was vacant there was somehow a drive-through business operating there and then i guess secondarily is there any circumstance under which six months isn't long enough is there any kind of exemption in the code for the time that the restaurant is vacant while on the market or if renovations are happening is there any circumstance under which it would be extended no the six months is you know it's a, it's a pretty black and white issue i think it's you know uh, there's no real wiggle room um, the commission has looked at these issues before, though, as it relates to non-conforming status. Um, and, you know, in my time, maybe a couple of times, I know that there's been, there was one back, you know, several years where, you know, the commission um, looked at like an old uh, gas station way out in East County and, um, and was able to find that, you know, they had been working on it for so long to reopen it that they considered that to be sort of intent to reestablish and we're okay with it in that particular case, um, but they're all different. You know, I think that the specific plan is pretty clear that at the point, at the time that it was written, again, this was, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, it, there was a real, um, you know, pushback on drive-through restaurants. Maybe that is not longer the case. Um, it, there, again, there seemed to be some support for something like that at the MAC, although, you know, the, the vote didn't prevail. And so uh, that's why we're bringing it to you as a decision-making body on the appeals. I don't know. Um, other than what I presented, uh, if the applicant has any other kind of evidence of there being this drive-through window established, um, I haven't seen it. And the staff planner that was assigned to it um, didn't share that with me either. So I think it's just the award at this point. Uh, yeah. so that's no, thank you. 
Um, yeah, I, I certainly don't think that it's the, our job in an appeal to look at changing policy. We look at the policy that's there and whether the appeal is justified. So this is pretty cut and dry to me. Uh, I just wanted to ask if I was missing something other than our need to actually give a public hearing for the review. Thank you. <clears throat> well, I, I've kind of got the opposite effect on it there, Andy. I, I believe that, you know, this this was a permitted use and that the, the, at that point in time, the building was built, the drive-through was put in. Um, what if it was a second story? And then the plan says, okay, no more second stories on Castro Valley Boulevard. And it's a commercial area and it doesn't get leased for a year or two. That happens a lot in commercial businesses. Do we have them tear down the second story? Do we have these people remove the drive-through now? I feel that it's it's been part of this parcel for so long, I don't see a reason that they should have to get rid of it. Mark. Yeah, I'd like to fill in a couple of blanks here. Um, the six month thing is irrelevant because that, that window hasn't been open for the last three or four restaurants that have been there. So it's been a decade or or more. The wind, you know, it's been boarded up, papered up, has not been used. The window window was added 15 years after the building was built so it wasn't part of the original construction at least the permits that are in the staff report that's what they show um but castor valley has been pretty adamant as recently as last year that they don't want any more uh drive-throughs and the the problem with I, I i agree with what andy said you know it's not up to us to change the policy today and with all due respect, I don't I don't know how to equate a drive-through window with a second floor on a building. That's that's quite a that's quite a that's quite a leap there. But on this particular issue, you know, there's been a lot of applications and a lot of uses over the years. Um, that if if you're not using it for six months, you lose it. And if we think that's too short, we can certainly ask staff to bring something back to us to lengthen that. But as it sits today. The six-month policy is the policy, regardless of what what the use is. And um, you know, we had a big we had a big meeting at the MAC last year. Chickafield wanted to come in to the parcel right next door to the miniature golf place. And the only reason we were able to turn that back was the prohibition against drive-throughs in our specific plan. And there was uh, that was a heavily attended meeting, and there was nobody but the applicant that wanted to put a drive-through restaurant in there. And I know when I was on the Mac, I talked to at least four different restaurants um, that wanted to go in there when I was chair. So it's, it, this is, it, once you open the door to these drive-throughs, you know, every Starbucks, every, you know, they're going to be everywhere. And that was the problem we had before. So we're updating the specific plan. If we're going to make a change in that, that's the process to do that. But uh, I agree with staff on this one. I think they've done the adequate research uh, the, the applicant has had plenty of time to offer evidence that it's been in continuous use for more than six months. And like I said, it's it's 10 years or maybe 20 years. Um, I get a lot of auto repair done at that auto repair next door there. So I'm there quite a bit. And it's that window hasn't been used in you know a, a decade or two. So it's not even a close call. Thank you, Mark. Um... I saw Hal and Jeffrey with their hands up. Hal, go ahead. Since Jeff, you're why don't you go first? You had your hand up first, Jeff. Oh, yeah. I, I 
I think this is, I'm pretty much parroting. Um, I, I agree it's fairly cut and dry. The purpose of the short sunsetting window is to allow the you know removal of non-permitted issues here. And, and I, I agree with Andy, this is not the venue to change the uh, planning policy. You know, I personally am not as perhaps uh, adverse to drive-throughs perhaps as other members are, but this is not the place to do it. And my it's fairly cut and dry. Um, you know, I think they, if they want to change something, they should, they should bring it back and get the specific plan updated. I mean, without following the rules, it's, it's just the wild, wild west. So anyways, thanks. Now, I also support the uh, planning commission's, uh, mean the director's decision. You know, I was thinking during the pandemic, many of the businesses were encouraging contactless types of, uh, uh, businesses, but people can drive through, pick up, and go. They had an opportunity to do that, and they didn't. So uh, that's another example that they have not used this uh, window for that purpose. So I do support uh, the decision to reject the appeal. And on that note, I need to leave, folks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I have to run to Dublin right now for a meeting. Thank you. Make, make sure you pet the okay. cat. Okay, I will. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Hal. Thank you. Good luck on your meeting. Okay, seeing no more hands up, uh, I'd like to open up public comment on this. The applicant or the appellant raising a hand. Uh, yes, we have one speaker, uh, Gabriel Fonseca. Um, Gabriel, you have, uh, um, you're on the line. You can address the commission. Okay, hi. Um, I'm actually leasing the building right now from uh, Sofia Lemios. Uh, my concern is like if a, another COVID outbreak were to come out for the drive-through, for instance, um, I've talked to the neighbors at the Smog World and they, one of the guys told me there that they were using the drive-through the place before. I'm not 100% sure on it, but that's what he told me. Um, also, I was wondering if I wanted to like uh, make it like a pickup window, whether it's like DoorDash pickup or like phone order pickup, not like a full drive-through, just a pickup window to not have to help like the older community or even like um, people just get in and out quicker instead of having stopped cars or the park not get full. Um, what would be the process on maybe going to try to do that? Um, but yeah, those are all my, my questions I have at the moment. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Uh, no more speakers that I can see guys. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, someone just raised their hand. Dwight Roberts. Uh, Mr. Roberts, you have three minutes to speak. Are you here? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. And I have Sophia Limonos here, the owner of the property. She'd like to address the, the council. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi, we can hear you. Yes, my name is Sofia Limnios. And first of all, I appreciate you very much your time. And I'm listening to your whole conversation, to your whole statements here. And I want to correct you for two things, please. First of all, the place never was closed for six months. Only is for six months. Second, you're talking about that the window was bought out. That's not correct. If your own house has very hot sun, you definitely gonna put it down your curtain. So you happen to have the picture, maybe that time the 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 curtains or the the safe was down for the sun sunny. So for the sun. 
Second thing you are talking about for another place where they wanted to make the chicken on the place with the lumber on Castle Valley Boulevard. They, you're absolutely correct. You don't want to have new drive-through, but the difference between that and my property, I do have already the drive-through that people in the past tennis, they always use. Of course, you're not gonna be busy every time to have tennis to come to the windows, right? Because sometimes you have to build distance, sometimes you're not. So, and you know that very well, I have the grandfather clause. And please, I want you to understand me what I'm going to say and how I feel for my decision. If you were on the property and you own the driveway for so many years, and your tenants, they always use a drive-through, how you gonna feel if I will try to take away your rights to use your drive-through as something who you own for so long? So this is, I'm gonna disturb what you're talking about because most of that, it is not correct. Yes, you have some laws for all of us, we have to make no question, but my drive-through does not apply to, kind, to that kind of law who you're talking about. So please, I appreciate you very much to see my point of view, to see my rights and to vote yes for my drive-through because it's something who I know. That's why we bought the property and that's why my tenants, they want to rent the property too. I appreciate very much your consideration and you understand. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, there's another speaker. Please. Ms. Wai Hung. Yeah, I wasn't going to speak up, but I, I I feel compelled because I live in the neighborhood and and I feel feel sorry for that lady has to go through or or the tenant has to go through this this um this this issue. Um, I I I I wanted as a as a citizen of 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 this area. I I I don't I I want good food. I want people to invest in the neighborhood. And it feels like the 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 body of of um, the the the, the Mac or the Planning Commission is not encouraging business to come in because of 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 a legacy. Uh, or I mean, it's it's a um, it's a legacy issue that that preventing new drive through to come in. This is, I think, it's a it's a existing non-conforming use. Um, uh, so I, I think there is a, some merits to grant this lady or, uh, a, a drive-through, um, use on, on, on this case. Um, again, I'm speaking out of the citizen of, uh, Castro Valley and San Leandro. All right, thank you. Uh, I don't see any other speakers on this item. Okay. Well, Mark, just a clarification for you. I mean, my second story example <laughs> is it, it was a it was a stretch, but you know, so is Chick Fil A compared to the El Taco. You know, um, I, I I don't I see if you know Chick Fil A wanted to try to take that parcel and expand the drive-through that I understand the specific plan would take over there and say, no, this is what you get and you can't expand it or anything such as that. But to, to take away a use that has been in use or has not been in use, there is no proof either way right about now. 
Um, and it's, I have a problem with that. And I also have a problem with the six month term uh, for legal non-conforming only for the fact that in commercial uses across the board, not just a drive-through, there's many times where commercial buildings are empty and I, I don't believe they should lose their original intention. Um, as far as that goes, Mark, go ahead. Yeah, I think if we had to get into verifying, you know, when a building is occupied, when a lease is in effect, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that's a rabbit hole that, you know, you don't want staff to, you know, that's right. why you have an arbitrary, you know, deadline. And sometimes that deadline is short. I mean, there's been situations where we had liquor stores that closed. Um, we were actually trying to use uh, that, that rule to get rid of having a second Safeway in Castor Valley when uh, the one up at 580 Marketplace, uh, I forget what that was, Petrini's or something closed and Safeway wanted to come in there and we were gonna kill the alcohol permit and we would have been able to keep Safeway from coming in there by using the six month rule. And uh, they basically went 24 hours and got the place remodeled and made it within the six months. This was many years ago, but you know, there's there was a Starbucks that wanted to go in next door to the theater and have a drive-through and have cars coming out right against the wall of the of the theater where you have a lot of foot traffic. I mean, there's been other situations. There's a lot of history on this particular issue. Um, and it's, and Castor Valley has been pretty consistent. And, you know, they're, it's the way the rules are written now, I, you know? So I'm, I, I think the question I would have, I guess we need to take a vote and see, but it doesn't sound like we have four votes to uh, deny the appeal. And if that's the case, uh, if Hal was here, I, we would, but Hal's not here now. So um, does that mean we continue it to the next meeting or what happens in that situation? Yeah, that is an option to continue it, um, certainly. As the other three members are, are they are excused, they are not here. You need a majority of the quorum to pass a motion. Yeah, our bylaws state you have to have four votes for the planning commission to do any to do anything. So we actually have to have four votes. Yeah. I remember going over that. Yeah. Which is, you know, fine. Whatever it is, it is. But I'm just, and if we need to take the vote first, then that, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this just for the interest of time. I'll make a motion that we deny the appeal. Um, and um, that's that's on PLN. <laughs> 2022-248. Before, before we get a second on that, um, I, I just want to put it out there because I'm pretty sure we all know how this is going to turn out and I don't want to be the devil here, but um, is, is that the motion you want to make or would you make a, rather make a motion to continue? Uh, I wasn't sure if we wanted to vote first. I'm, I think we should just make a motion to continue, honestly, if everybody- Well, once we vote and deny it, um, there won't be a continuance. Well, no, once we once we vote, if it goes three to one, then that motion fails. So now you right. make, now you make a new motion for a continuance. That's why I was asking Albert kind of and, and County Council what the roadmap is on how we do this. Um, I, I'm happy to make a motion for continuance if, if we're all okay with that as well. Albert, what, what, did you, what do you have to say about both ways of doing this. 
Uh, well, I think the um, the process that that uh, Commissioner Crawford laid out um, is one that I've seen uh, work in, in other forums. Where if you if you don't think you're going to have four votes, I mean, you you I guess you uh, if that motion was to fail to deny the appeal, then yeah, another motion would have to be made to continue. I see County Council has put uh, their camera on. Maybe they have a comment on that. No. Oh, and he's okay. got a hand up as well. Just as a point of process, if we're going to get into a place where people can't be at this meeting and there's only going to be five of us, and that sets an expectation that there's going to have to be unanimous, near unanimous. Um, I don't want to have meetings with four commissioners if we're going to have to have unanimous votes on everything. That's not really a public hearing and it's a waste of our time. So. Um, I mean, I, I would not like to hear this again, but that's fine. I think we should vote on it, but I also think we should not hold meetings with five commissioners if that's not enough to um, vote. So you well, can second my motion and then we'll vote. <laughs> I second Mark's motion. There we go. Okay. All four of us, let's have a roll call, please. Uh, sure thing. Uh, okay. Commissioner Moore. Aye. Commissioner Kelly. Aye. Uh, uh, Commissioner Crawford. Aye. Vice, uh, Vice Chairman gone, And then um, Chairman Goff. Nay. Okay, okay. So that motion fails. I'd like to move for our continuance of this item. I'll second. You know, just before we take a roll call here, <laughs> I just thought of an interesting thing. If I vote nay for the continuance because we only have four, I'm not saying I'm gonna, but <laughs> I this falls into place where Andy's point really is valid. Us making decisions with four people and we need four people is awful difficult. So go ahead and proceed. I would roll call. Yeah. Do we have a second? I made the second. Oh, okay. All right, I didn't hear that. Sorry, Mark. Okay, can we get a roll call, please? All right, uh, roll call on the motion to continue the item. Uh, Commissioner Moore? Aye. Commissioner Kelly? Aye. Commissioner Crawford? Aye. And Chairman Goff? I'm gonna vote aye for the good of the cause, but I would also like an answer as to what would have happened there. Well, what would have happened if you didn't continue it? Um, I, I think what would happen is that the, the the decision as made at the staff level would stand, but there's always the ability for them for an appeal to go back to the board. So I don't know. What does county council think? <laughs> the, the, the matter would have failed at this meeting and you would not have continued it and correct the applicant can continue to appeal up to the board of supervisors oh they still can they still could after this comes back to the full commission they still have that option correct can i okay. ask a question to parrot andy um I, I had for i hadn't really looked at this in a long time i had forgotten that the bylaws stated that you need a four nothing and i and i kind of agree with andy if you've only got four commissioners on an action item does it make sense to have it or do we look at changing the bylaws because 
I don't know whether it's just a, an anomaly that happens once in a blue moon here. That is a kind of a weird situation. Well, I, I agree. I mean, we do um, we do send out all the materials for planning commissioners with the expectation that everyone will show up. And usually, if someone is not going to be there, they'll let us know. Uh, usually, I think that if um, Commissioner Ginn uh, had been here another 15 minutes or so, we probably wouldn't be dealing with this issue um, as we are now. But, um, you know, yeah. we, um, we, we, we anticipate that people that are that are appointed are going to show up and, um, you know, we don't really have, we haven't had a real serious issue with that in the past, but it might be just like you say, an anomaly for today. I think maybe, maybe just a, as a, as a policy kind of parroting Andy is that if this ever happens again, if you've got four people on something, I think it, you know, it benefits the, the applicant to not vote and particularly to deny um, they should have the benefit of at least getting more opinions on it to to get a more consistent, you know, uh, opinion. So I don't know if it's an informal policy or whatever, but kind of a kind of a unusual circumstance with Hal leaving. Yeah, we've had some attendance issues, though, recently. And um, I think that, you know, I don't know if there's a legal requirement for decision making bodies that a majority of the body has to make the decision. I don't know if that is normal for planning commissions or BZAs or boards of supervisors. Maybe county council can check on that. Maybe that's why that's structured that way. Um, I, I'd be okay with amending the bylaws for a majority. I mean, what are we going down to? Is a you know, yeah, three to one? It would be the the minimum. You still have to have a quorum of the four. Yeah. So, um, well, now, now I'm confused because we have this is not an aspersion on any Wednesday job, but you know, let's say that Jeff and Mark are doing a project together, and then they're both recused. That recusal doesn't count against our quorum for for a mandatory. I mean, hmm. we have actual conflict of interest rules too as an agency, and you could very easily have two planning commissioners have to be recused. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, certainly not not unreasonable correct and the rules for recusal and absences are not the same so if you're absent you don't count but the recruit <laughs> i cannot speak today i apologize you would still count if you're recused from the matter you need to have a majority of everyone there counting the recused Well, especially if we're going to in-person meetings, we don't, you know, we don't want Andy, you know, making his way all the way from Berkeley to show up to a three-person, you know, planning commission meeting. So yeah, somebody might need to talk to some of the planning commissioners whose attendance hasn't been 100%. And why don't Why don't we do this? I'd like to suggest that we we let's review the uh, the bylaws. I mean, I can't remember the last time we've looked at these by bylaws. I think I saw them 11 years ago. Um, and maybe it's time to just blow the dust off, take a look at it, maybe agendize it, have a discussion, see if we want to make any revisions. Can't hurt. Or get all seven of us to show up. <laughs> so, Okay, let's move on. Okay, item number two, please. Can we have a staff report? Sure. Let me uh, just put the, <clears throat> the agenda back on the screen real quick. So we, we just looked at regular calendar number one. Um, and now we're going on to item number two. Um, this item, I'm going to turn it over to Liz McElligott, um in our policy group. Uh, actually, the next two items. Um, the first one is the amendments to the East County Area Plan and the Castro Valley Plan to implement 
Measure D. As you know, we had a, a vote last year in, in 2022 to do a slight amendment to Measure D as it pertains to um, ag buildings and equestrian arenas. And now we are putting into effect the results of that election. Uh, that particular measure did pass with about 66% of the vote. So I'll turn it over to Liz for the presentation and we'll both be here for any questions that you may have. Liz, you there? Yes, I am. All right. Good afternoon, commissioners. I will share my screen. Uh, as Albert said, you last considered uh, this uh, this language on uh, July 5th of last year uh, when you voted unanimously to recommend that the Board of Supervisors uh, adopt uh, the proposed ordinance to amend Measure D to increase the floor area ratio allowed for agricultural buildings in the large parcel agriculture designation in the East County Area Plan and allow additional square footage for covered uh, equestrian arenas in the large parcel agriculture and resource management designations. Um, so you uh, voted to uh, recommend that the board uh, adopt these provisions and uh, the board did so and placed um, the, um, the ballot measure on the November 8th, 2022 ballot and uh, as i'm sure you're all aware it uh it did pass unanimously uh or not unanimously but by by quite a large margin uh so the next task that we need to do is to amend the east county area plan and the castor valley general plan to um put the language from the um from Measure D 2022 into the um, the two general plan documents, uh, and this is language that is um, in uh, Exhibit A that's attached to your the resolution that's part of your packet today. And this is the the wording is is a, a little bit um, different than the um, the Measure D language because. Um, Measure D, the, the the ballot measure amended the Measure D 2000 language, and now we're taking that language and um, uh, amending uh, East County Area Plan and Castor Valley General Plan to put that language uh, in those documents. So um, the the changes that you're considering today uh, start out with uh, an addition to the preface uh, down here and the the underlying text just explaining um, that uh, in in November 2022 the um, Measure D 2022 was um, adopted and uh, the the language from that measure um, is to be incorporated into the um, the the general plan documents. And uh, the, um, the the policies uh, and programs that were changed by the original Measure D 2000 were uh, designated with a, an asterisk in, in front of them and for 
um, Measure D 2022, they will be um, designated by a, a, a hashtag. Uh, so the um, East County Area Plan, as I said, would be amended to add um, the language from the ballot measure, which um, includes the uh, FAR of uh, 0.025 for um, agricultural buildings, in addition to the 0.01 for non-residential buildings. Uh, and then it also um, would add uh, an additional 0.025 for um, uh, equestrian arenas <clears throat> of at least 20,000 square feet and uh, up to a maximum of 60,000 square feet. For resource management, um, this designation, uh, again, this is a change to the East County Area Plan. For this designation, it would just include um, the 0.025 floor area ratio for uh, covered equestrian riding arenas. In Appendix A of the Castor Valley General Plan, um, the uh, language pertaining to the additional square footage for uh, equestrian riding arenas would also be added. This is the same language uh, as uh, would be added to the East County Area Plan. And then in addition, there's some tables uh, in the East County Area Plan in, in the appendices <clears throat> that make reference to the uh, floor area ratio. So that language would just be updated to also uh, reflect the same um, changes as the, um, the other text in the plan. And then again, there's some tables um, in uh, East County Area Plan that have the same, uh, reflect the same language. So changes, the same changes would be made there. And you've seen these tables before. It's just showing that for large parcel agriculture for various parcel sizes, um, the, um, uh, accumulation of the, the residential square footage, the 0.01 for non-residential, and then the 0.025 for um, the agricultural buildings, uh, and then the um, additional square footage for covered equestrian uh, arenas. And then for resource management, um, it does not include the uh, 0.025 for uh, agricultural buildings, additional uh, agricultural buildings, but it does include the square footage for covered um, equestrian arenas. Uh, another thing that was not uh, part of the ballot measure, but was discussed extensively um, throughout the, the public process leading up to uh, the, the ballot measure being uh, uh, considered by the electorate was uh, uh, ag building definition. Um, since there is going to be additional square footage allowed for um, 
agricultural buildings. Um, it made sense to have a, a, a definition for agricultural building. Um, the the uh, discussion started with the uh, building code definition. But on uh, in February of 2021, the uh, Agricultural Advisory Committee recommended um, some additions to the building code definition. Um, as you see here, uh, it refers to um, um, hay, grain, poultry, livestock, olives, nuts, hops, wine, and other horticultural products. Um, and it includes um, storage and processing treatment packaging and, and uh, of uh, agricultural and horticultural products. Um, and it also adds the, the language that um, it, it's not a place for, to, for use by the public or for social uh, events. A county council has suggested some very minor uh, changes to this um, just for, for clarity. Um, so we're at, as staff, we're uh, recommending that the, um, the ordinance before you today um, include the, the uh, county council's version of the definition. Um, so uh, basically it's just adding the word or used. So it's a structure designed and constructed or used to house farm implements. Um, and then it adds or equipment. Uh, poultry and livestock is, is just moved uh, up a, a sentence. Uh, and then or similar farm or ranch animals is added. Um, and then down toward the end, instead of uh, agricultural slash horticultural products, um, we've added and slash or. If you uh, choose to uh, vote today to to recommend the the, the changes um, that uh, were approved in the ballot measure and also the zoning ordinance amendment. Uh, this is the tentative schedule that we're looking at for uh, full adoption. Um, after your meeting today, um, this item is scheduled to go to the Board of Supervisors on March 9th, which is a, a board planning meeting where the Board of Supervisors um, would consider a resolution to approve the amendments to ECAP and the Castro Valley General Plan and hold the first reading of the zoning ordinance amendment to add the definition. Uh, the second reading uh, would tentatively be scheduled for April 13th. And then uh, if uh, adopted by the board, the ordinance would go into effect. That's the, the zoning ordinance amendment um, would go into effect 30 days after that. So uh, staff requests that your commission um, uh, adopt the resolution, making certain findings and recommending that the Board of Supervisors approve the amendments to ECAP and the Castor Valley General Plan to implement Measure D 2022. And in addition, recommend that the 
Board of Supervisors approve the amendment to the county zoning ordinance to add the proposed definition for agricultural buildings as modified by County Council. Thank you so much. Very informative. I have no uh, questions or anything. I believe uh, we've been through this pretty good. Anybody else? Do I hear a motion? Yeah, uh, we got a hand. Hold on, hold on. I got to open public comment. Albert, is there anybody raising their hand for the? Sorry. Uh, yes, there are a couple of speakers on this item. Um, the first speaker up is Dick Schneider. Dick Schneider, uh, you have three minutes. Thank you. Thank you, um, members of the commission. Uh, thank you, Liz, for yet another <laughs> pushing this through. Um, I, I, I've read through all the documents. Uh, I think the amendments to the, uh, the area plans, the general plan, are just fine as is. Um, I do have a recommendation, a request that you add one word to the revised county council's revised definition of an agricultural building. And that is you put the word farm in front of equipment, farm implements or farm equipment. I'm concerned that some people, if that word is not there, will not believe that the word farm means, the equipment means farm equipment, and they will try to use that huge additional square footage for other purposes. Um, in the large parcel agriculture designation, the minimum parcel size is 100 acres. That's two and a half acres of additional floor area, covered floor area that could be used for a lot of things that might not be agricultural. Um, and I'm sure landowners would love to get revenue for renting out that space for other things, such as road paving equipment or dirt hauling equipment or recreational vehicle equipment in a covered space, not visible to the public as to what's inside. So I think it's important to be very explicit, even if it's a little redundant, to make sure that the definition says farm equipment. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker, my, my Mike Frederick. Well, Dick uh, sort of beat me to it. I actually am on the AAC. I'm not speaking for them, but um, I'm fairly familiar with this. And I also support his um, contention that either farm should be put in front of equipment or just say farm equipment and leave out implement. I think having the word equipment there without the farm in front of it, it just lets somebody who knows, you know, in 10 years or 20 years say, well, it says equipment, I want to put, you know, like RVs or whatever in, in there, and I should be allowed because it's equipment. Anyway, thank you very much for your time. Uh, there are no more speakers on this item. Thank you, by the way. Okay. Um, any discussion on Andy? And then Mark. Mark, you can go first if you want. Um, okay, so do we have a handy definition of farm equipment? Because <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's kind of a rabbit hole here at some point. I certainly hear the concern that, that Dick and Mike are, are bringing up. Um, I'm, yeah, but I mean, County Council's kind of massaged this thing already. 
it, the changes they made didn't seem to me to be substantive that it should go back to agricultural advisory committee, um, you know, for their blessing. Um, I, I don't know. I'm okay with leaving it as is. I'm, I'm less comfortable with putting farm in there without knowing all the ramifications of that. I mean, if somebody builds one of these buildings and they put a bunch of stuff in there, who's going to verify that it's farm equipment versus whatever else it might be? I, you know, you, you certainly aren't going to be able to rely on code enforcement to to figure that out. So, I mean, how is that? How is that enforced? Does it really get you anywhere? Um, and who's the arbiter of what farm equipment is? I mean, some of these some of these guys have road equipment, paving equipment that they're using on their farms. So they can't have that because it's road construction equipment. You know, it's, I don't know. I'm okay with leaving it as is. Andy? Well, I thought this was about horse arenas. Well, that's part of it. Well, I thought all of this was really about horse arenas. It's agricultural. Yeah, yeah, there's two components to it. One is yeah. the additional floor area for ag buildings. And then the other one is a specific <clears throat> number of square footage for equestrian arenas. Yeah. I agree with everything Mark said. I don't want to, I think that common sense says the definition makes more sense. But common sense also says if it's not defined in the ordinance, I also don't know because I wasn't prepared for that. It wasn't in the staff report. I'm not sure what else, what other restrictions are already on the, um, you know, can you store rental equipment that isn't associated with the primary agricultural? Are there other restrictions? This wasn't part of the um, packet. So I'm not sure what the other restrictions are on these buildings that we're allowing to be slightly larger with the changes to Measure D. And I feel like the voters' intention was not to add restrictions, but to allow slightly larger floor area ratio. Um, I mean, it's, the Measure D didn't really advise us to create new policy so much as to enact the policy the voters passed. So I think I would defer to County Council and or to planning staff and their interpretation of what was written because I don't I don't I, I'm sorry if I'm stammering but it you know it's weird when we're implementing a voter approved initiative is not the same as our <clears throat> judgment and the um, the language seemed like it was a very minor change to floor area ratios and a very specific change to horse arenas. Um, so I'm not sure that we ought to be further adding restrictions that weren't approved by the voters. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. I, uh, when this came to us, I, I do believe that the FAR requirements were a little bit stringent with Measure D, and I, I am glad that it did pass by the voters. <clears throat> but what I did find interesting in the polling of the people during this election in the East County here of what are you going to vote on that? And, oh, I'm for open space. I'm for open space. And they had no idea <laughs> what the actual initiative was.
bit for me I thought was quite interesting because I asked quite a few people confusing what was written in the voting handbook. Anyway, um, is there anybody else that would like to speak? I don't, oh, wait a minute, I see a hand over here, Andrea. Thank you, Chairman Goff. I, I just want to clarify that the issue of the definition in the zoning ordinance was not included in any of the ballot issue questions or the measure itself. Um, so that is fully within your jurisdiction to determine what is the appropriate definition of um, an agricultural building. Although that term was used um, repeatedly within the ballot measure itself, it was not defined. And so um, if you feel like there are changes um, that you'd like to make to that definition, then that is more than appropriate and within your discretion to do. Um, the other separate action of moving forward with the general plan amendments is truly a ministerial function um, where we are just, in fact, implementing the action of the, of the voters in that regard. So you have certain discretion with the definition for the zoning ordinance, um, very limited discretion for implementation of the general plan amendments. Thank you. Jeff, and then Mark. Yeah, I, I, you know, originally I was uh, thinking that, hey, you know, adding the word farm makes a lot of sense, but I think Mark and Andy kind of came up with an interesting scenario, but I mean, you know, if you're concerned about somebody renting, you know, and storing RVs, well, what if they rented, you know, threshers or, or appropriate, you know, tractors or something that are farm equipment? I mean, um, you know, if someone's going to do that, that that's, a, that's a different issue. You can always find someone who's going to, um, um, you know, potentially try to slide around the uh, uh, rules, but I think I think Mark and Andy got it right. I mean, now how far down this road, you know, do you go? What's farm equipment? What's, you know, if you put a, an asphalt paver in there, I've seen clients who have that on these big farms. So I, I just agree. I think we should leave it the way it is. Mark? Yeah, I mean, just looking at the punctuation here, uh, it, I, I think that the whole farm word issue is covered already because it says to house farm implements or equipment, comma. So it's farm implements or farm equipment. It's essentially how it reads. It's all, you know, it's all between the two commas. So it's all one, to me, it's all one issue. I mean, you, you kind of have to be reading it to, to follow me, but to house farm implements or equipment, comma, moves on to poultry and livestock. So I, I think it's covered. I think the concern is covered in the verbiage that's there. There's no need for us to make a change to it. Okay. Am I hearing any type of emotion with all four of us? I'll make a motion to recommend that the Board of Supervisors approve the amendments to the ECAP and the Casserole General Plan to implement Measure D 2022 and the draft ordinance to add the proposed definition for agricultural building to the zoning ordinance as per county council's version. Yeah, I'll second that. We have a motion and a second. Albert, can we get a roll call on this item, please? Sure, Commissioner Moore? Oh. Aye. Commissioner Crawford? Aye. Commissioner Kelly? Um, pass. Pass? Pass? I didn't know that was an option. 
it is. Chairman Goff. Hi. Okay, let's, uh, do I hear any more motions? Uh, that I, I vote yes. What? Pass it and put you at the end of the roll call. Oh, okay. All right, then it passes. Thank you, Andy, for the pass. I, I was just trying to read something and I was confused and <laughs> I wanted to make sure I'd finished my sentence before we voted. I've never heard pass. <laughs> it might just be a Berkeley thing. We made it up. <laughs> Andy, at the next meeting, try to use abstain. Okay. Well, abstain is if you don't want to vote at all. <laughs> I, I know. Just, just to throw it in the mix. Four votes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it the, passes. Motion, the motion passes in. Thank you. Does it pass? <laughs> <clears throat> I get it. Okay. It carries. Albert. I'm not sure. Can we get an? Oh, this the next one is a informational item order. Only yes, uh, this is also here. a project of Liz's, and uh, pass it over to her in just a second. So this is an update, information, an informational item only, an update on our progress in the the, the county's housing element. And um, as you may have seen in the media, there's many jurisdictions in the Bay Area. Um, that are in a similar boat that we are as we're trying to satisfy the state HCD and get our housing element up there as quickly as possible. Um, we're diligently working on that, um, have a whole team that's meeting weekly, sometimes twice a week and, and getting our document done. And so uh, pass it over to, to Liz, who will kind of give you all the detail and we'll both be here for any questions that you may have. And I'll stop sharing if you need to share, Liz. Yeah. Uh you last heard an update from staff on uh, progress toward completion of the housing element back in December. Uh, and uh, as um, we uh, reiterated that at that time, the state law requires the housing element um, to be uh, updated every eight years. Uh, and and um, this recurring cycle does provide an opportunity to shape um, how the unincorporated communities will grow over the, the coming uh, housing element cycle. Uh, so all cities and counties uh, it, within the Bay Area region are updating their housing elements uh, at the same time. Um, and uh, as Albert said, the, the deadline for completion was January of this year. So we are working as diligently as we can to complete it as, as quickly as possible. We expect to uh, distribute a draft for uh, a public review period of at least a 30, uh, at least 30 days, which is a state requirement uh, in late March and um, submittal of the, the draft element to the state HCD is expected in late April uh, of this year. So we're uh, hoping to work closely with HCD staff as they go through the review process to minimize 
um, the amount of time that they will need to um, to make comments uh, on the the um, element, and and we'll be able to respond to their comments and um, make sure that we're finishing the document as quickly as possible. So just to reiterate, um, there are several uh, required components to the housing element. We um, need to do a, a, an assessment of housing need, uh, and our consultant is working on this, um, uh, both uh, well, existing, projected, and uh, we need to look at populations with special needs. Uh, we need to develop policies and programs um, required to fulfill any identified needs um, and to address issues that come up during the, the process of, of revising the, the housing element. Uh, and our consultant is um, also developing uh, the policies and programs with, with our input uh, and also from uh, input from the, the community as we hold these meetings. Uh, we need to do a, a site's inventory and analysis, and we've I'll talk a, a, in more detail about this uh, in just a few minutes, but this is something that we've spent quite a lot of time on, uh, and we feel like we're, we're close to um, having a, a final product here. Um, the consultant is also preparing governmental and non-governmental constraints. And um, we're in the process of, of reviewing uh, an internal draft, of an administrative draft, to get that ready to include in the public draft as well. Uh, we are looking at uh, evaluating the existing housing element policies and programs to determine which ones we're going to continue onto the new element and which ones we are, are not going to uh, include. We are working on our affirmatively furthering fair housing analysis as well, and we are uh, uh, engaged in uh, extensive community engagement. So here's just a, a few examples of some of the policies and programs we're looking at um, to ensure that uh, lower resource areas are not um, adversely affected by any new planning or any new housing that might go into these areas. We are looking to target additional community resources to these areas. Um, we wanna make sure to address potential displacement. Um, we're looking at uh, uh, rezoning some sites to meet the RENA. Um, uh, another important element is working with BART to facilitate the development of housing at the Castor Valley and Bayfair BART stations. Uh, and again, I'll talk about that a little bit more in, in just a bit. And you've seen this before. Um, the, the RENA, our regional housing needs uh, allocation for this cycle is considerably higher um, than it was for the, the previous cycle, uh, it's a 166% increase overall. Um, so we are, uh, it, it's made it more of a challenge to fulfill the, or to prepare the sites inventory to um, identify enough sites to uh, fulfill these numbers. And, and as you'll notice there, um, the total is split up uh, among the various income groups. Um, so we need to provide um, areas for 
uh, or properties for each um, income group. These are the income categories um, for Alameda County. Uh, just to give you an idea, when we talk about, um, for example, low-income housing, um, you can see that that's 80% uh, of the median income for the area. Um, so you can say, see that even low-income, um, what's considered a low-income household, um, actually um, uh, has a, a significant income. Um, it's just that with the, the cost of housing and, and um, cost of living in general in the Bay Area, um, even a, what would be considered a, a good income elsewhere um, doesn't uh, stretch very far here. For the site's inventory, uh, state law requires each city and county to demonstrate that zoning and general plan designations allow enough housing development capacity to accommodate the regional housing needs allocation. Uh, the inventory sites have been identified in every unincorporated community. So as we go through this process, we're um, leaving no stone unturned, uh, as it were. Um, we're not, we, we can't really um, divide up the, the total number um, uh, to, to allocate a certain number to each community, um, but we are looking wherever uh, there is property that could um, uh, allow for additional residential units. Property owners will decide whether or not to develop their properties. So we, we wanna stress that the county is not going to force anyone to develop um, their properties in, in, in any particular way if, if they don't want to. Um, so that's uh, actually one of the complications of this is we can identify the sites where there's capacity for housing, but we don't actually, we the county doesn't actually build the housing. So um, we rely on um, you know, market forces and, and um, developer interest in um, actually building the housing. Also, I want to point out that applications for housing development still need to go through an approval process. So just because a property uh, is included in the site's inventory, that doesn't mean that it's um, automatically approved or uh, the, there still needs to be an application process that goes through the, the normal review. And for purposes of assigning properties to an income category, State HCD generally uses density as a proxy for income level uh, and assuming that higher density units will be more affordable. So when you see um, that we uh, uh, will, um, in the final site inventory, we will have uh, each property um, designated for a certain income category. And that's based on the density uh, of the development that would be allowed on that site. So to identify the sites, uh, the me methodology we used is recommended by um, the, the state 
Department of Housing and Community Development. Uh, we started out by identifying projects in the development pipeline. So we, if um, uh, development has been approved but not yet built, um, or if uh, an application has been submitted and is now uh, undergoing review, we get to count the, the number of units proposed um, toward our RENA. Uh, we identified vacant public and private parcels. We identified underutilized parcels, which uh, are defined as properties where the value of the land is higher than the value of the existing improvements. So, uh, um, State HCD considers these to be more likely to um, be redeveloped with um, housing or, or any other kind of use. Um, as opposed to parcels where uh, you know a brand new building has has just been built, staff is in the process of reviewing vacant and underutilized sites that could be rezoned to accommodate more units to help meet the arena. So uh, among the the vacant and underutilized sites, we're uh, looking at ones that look like they could um, accommodate more housing than than um, could be allowed under current zoning. And we are also taking into consideration uh, potential environmental hazards um, like uh, creeks, uh, steep slopes, um, high uh, wildfire hazard areas, things like that. So we, we are taking those um, concerns into account as well. So some of the key uh, sites that we're looking at to include in, in the inventory are the Bayfair and Castro Valley BART station parking lots. Uh, a new state law was passed a, a few years ago um, that um, requires uh, certain uh, zoning, certain density uh, and certain height um, of building be allowed on uh, parcels owned by BART within half a mile of, of the BART station. So we have a, a surface parking lot uh, adjacent to the Bayfair BART station, just to the southwest of the station. Uh, and then there's the, the parking lot at the Castro Valley BART station. Um, we've uh, heard um, a, a lot of comments uh, particularly about the Castro Valley BART station, and um, people are very concerned about the, the lack of parking or, or the loss of parking uh, if housing is built on the site. Um, and uh, I, I do want to uh, assure everybody that there's uh, there's a, a process that we would need to go through with BART um, that would include um, provision of replacement parking um, if when we actually um, pursue a, a development um, with them. So we would not put uh, housing on 100% of the parking. Um, that is something that we would work out through a, a pretty extensive development process, uh, working with BART and with the public. There's also the Castro Valley Boulevard Rite Aid site. Uh, County Radio Communications Station 
uh, at Foothill Boulevard and 150th in Castor Valley. That's across from the, the sheriff's substation. Uh, First Presbyterian Grove Way site uh, adjacent to Trader Joe's in Castro Valley. And I, again, I, we received a lot of com uh, comments when um, some uh, early on in this process, um, a document was um, circulated that uh, said that the Trader Joe's site was on the site's inventory. And um, it's not. There was some confusion because the church owns both the site where the church is located and also Trader Joe's, but we, the, the, the church parcel is the only one that's included in the, the draft sites inventory that we, we currently have. Uh, another site that we're looking at is uh, Crunch Fitness and some of the adjacent parcels um, on Llewellyn Boulevard. Um, we have um, had some contact with uh, the, the owner of the, the property where Crunch Fitness is located and also one of the owners of the adjacent, one of the adjacent parcels. Um, and they've expressed some interest. And again, it, you know, there's no, uh, it, it's not definite, um, but, but there has been some interest expressed. Um, we're also looking at uh, the possibility of allowing some additional residential development in San Lorenzo Village. Um, and this is something that, that uh, would be allowed under the uh, specific plan. Um, so we're, we're looking for um, not, uh, again, covering the, the whole area with uh, only residential development, but, but looking for more of a mix of uh, residential and commercial in that area. And then there's a fairly large site in East County um, to the east of the city of Pleasanton uh, inside the urban growth boundary. And so far, it looks like we're able to um, fulfill our arena and stay within the urban growth boundary that was established by Measure D. So um, currently we're not looking at, that, that's the only East County site we're looking at. We're not looking at any outside of the urban growth boundary. So I know you're, you're uh, not going to see a whole lot uh, on these maps, but just to give you an idea of um, the sites that we're looking at, um, we have um, Ashland here, um, uh, and you can see the, the categories we have, uh, pipeline projects, vacant residential, vacant mixed use, underimproved mixed use, um, rezones, and uh, underimproved residential. So we have the, the BART station site here, which we are looking to rezone to be consistent with um, the requirements in state law, which require at least um, 75 units per acre uh, as the density. Uh, Crunch Fitness and the adjacent parcels are right here along Llewellyn. And there are some other 
parcels, some pipeline projects, and then also um, some parcels that have been identified as uh, underimproved um, along East 14th. In Cherryland, um, there are several vacant um, parcels with residential zoning that we've um, identified scattered throughout the, um, the area. Um, we do have the, um, the, uh, the, the county-owned site uh, at the corner of um, Mission and Hampton. Um, which we're seeing uh, as, as having some potential to to possibly um, increase the the density on that a bit. In San Lorenzo, um, the orange is actually uh, Village Green, which is identified as a uh, pipeline project. Um, we have Hesperian coming down this way. Um, so you can see we have some uh, additional properties that we've identified that that um, could possibly be rezoned to um, accommodate more housing. Uh, in Castro Valley, and we have the Castro Valley BART station here. It's Castro Valley Boulevard, the Rite Aid site here, um, and uh, uh, the the sheriff's uh, the communication um, station is here, uh, and then you can see there are many um, uh, vacant residential sites that we've identified scattered throughout the area. And lastly, Fairview, uh, again, you can see um, there are a lot of uh, vacant residential sites um, that we've identified scattered throughout. For the housing constraints section, our consultant has completed uh, an initial draft and staff is conducting uh, an internal review of that. So it will be ready to include in, in the public review draft. For a program review, we're close to completing this analysis um, and um, it, it's been uh, uh, a fair amount of work since there are several uh, county departments that are involved in uh, implementation of these programs, but, but we are um, close to completing that as well. For the affirmatively furthering fair housing uh, analysis, uh, we've uh, accessed records at the Hayward Area Historical Society. We've opened a, a venue for residents to share their housing stories. So we thought that it would be um, very useful and interesting to um, provide residents of the unincorporated area the opportunity to, to tell us um, um, how, how they came to live in the unincorporated area or, or what 
um, sort of barriers they found to um, finding affordable housing or, or adequate housing in the area. So um, we welcome everyone to go to um, this link and uh, there's a template that you can um, fill out to, to, to type in uh, the information you'd like to share with us. Uh, we've also targeted outreach to stakeholders representing populations with special housing needs, and, and that's um, a, a particular category that's identified by the state. So um, these include uh, elders, renters, uh, people with disabilities, um, to understand their housing needs and, and policy priorities. And we're working with our consultants to develop draft policies to make sure that um, that the information that we uh, identify in our uh, analysis uh, is, is included or is, is reflected throughout the, the housing element. And here's a table of what we've done so far in terms of community engagement. Um, this is the, the third time that, or actually no, it's the second time that we're, we're coming to you uh, and um, uh, all of our, our MACs uh, and Ag Advisory Committee, Unincorporated Services Committee to, to share information about the, the progress we're making and, and um, what, we're, what we're considering. Um, we hosted uh, online office hours where people could drop in and, and chat with um, county staff, ask questions or, or get information. Um, this was not a popular um, endeavor. We got a, a few people contacting us, but not very many. So we will not be uh, continuing that particular effort. Um, we've had several small group interviews with key stakeholders, um, as I described earlier. Um, we contacted key landowners to determine interest in including their, their property in, in the inventory. Um, State HCD has said that they would like to um, see evidence that um, the property is actually likely to be developed in the, the, the coming uh, housing cycle. So we're going directly to the uh, property owners to determine, uh, to, to determine their interest in including their properties in the site's inventory. Uh, we met with the um, Ashland Cherryland Healthy Communities Collaborative, which is a group of uh, county staff and people representing um, uh, community organizations uh, in in that area to um, to get their input. And we uh, are likely to meet with them again before we're we're completing this process. Um, we have a an online survey posted. Um, there's a, a link on our website to that survey. So everyone is welcome to um, go to our website and, and take the survey. I mentioned the, the Share Your Housing Stories template that's also available uh, on the website. I, we're um, almost finished with this round of um, meetings to, to give everyone an update on where we are. and. Um, during uh, March and April, we will be having our public review period. 
um, which will include community workshops and another round of meetings. So we had, uh, I've had the uh, Fairview Mac and Eden Mac meetings so far, um, meeting with uh, you today, tomorrow at uh, Board Unincorporated Services Committee, and then Castro Valley Mac next week. Some of the comments received uh, so far in, in this, uh, this round of meetings, uh, Fairview Mac uh, was mainly concerned about uh, inadequate private streets and a lack of parking, um, making it difficult to uh, have uh, additional housing built uh, in their area. Uh, at the Eden Mac, we heard um, uh, comments uh, uh, objecting to more residential development in San Lorenzo Village, um, and also objections to uh, potential replacement of Crunch Fitness. Um, uh, there were also comments about um, uh, considering the historic value of the communities in, in selecting housing sites uh, and make sure we're making sure we're respectful of. of the history of the area, uh, and also natural resources on the, particularly on the two, 238 bypass parcels, um, that we should take those into consideration uh, in, in identifying sites. And, and we, we have included some of those sites in, uh, in the draft uh, inventory. And uh, another comment we received uh, is that it, it's important to address the, the current threats of gentrification as well as uh, historic racial displacement uh, in, in the housing element. And, and we do intend to, uh, to make sure that we, we do address um, potential uh, gentrification. So we'd like to hear from you and you're welcome to contact us. We have a, a general email, um, so you can uh, email our team where our staff is, um, is monitoring the housing element at acgov.org. Uh, you can uh, look at the, our website. Uh, there's a link from the, the planning department webpage to the, the website for the housing element. Uh, you can sign up for email notices. Um, there's more information, sort of basic information about what a housing element is and, and its purpose, um, where we are in the process, and um, uh, future uh, community uh, engagement um, uh, opportunities. Um, uh, there's also a link to our housing element survey, as I mentioned, and then also the share your stories link as well. Well, thank you. Do we have any questions of Liz? Very thorough. Mark. Uh, let's see. Okay, so when you when you came to us on December fifth, I had asked for uh, a table that compared the different communities and the percentages of units assigned to them for 
you had it for the sixth cycle, although you've got a much larger number than what's required. But I wanted to see one for the fifth cycle and see the comparison to that. And have, haven't seen that yet. I don't know if it's because you're, you know, still tweaking, you know, the site's inventory or not. But I wanted to to bring that up because I asked for that once before. And on the um, on the constraints, um, is are are you going to be listing the four county departments as constraints? The departments that are being reviewed by the management partners, since you know we have a situation where a private consultant has been hired by the county at the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to fix the permitting process that would certainly qualify as a constraint. So I'm just wondering, are we gonna be honest and list those agencies as constraints? Cause they certainly are. Um, that would be another comment. And then on the non-government constraints, I'm wondering if uh, listing East Bay Mud and PG&E as non-government constraints because the reality is when you get a project approved now, it takes years to get East Bay Mud out there to put in a water main extension. And, you know, they were using COVID as an excuse. Prior to that, it was, it still took a year. Uh, you know, now it takes, there's some projects waiting two, three years to get a water main extension put in. So clearly that's a constraint. Um, so I don't know if in the constraints section, you're only listing constraints that the county has the ability to affect, or if it's actual constraints that the creation of housing faces in this jurisdiction. So uh, I'm not sure what the right answer is there. Um, PG&E has just, you know, become more of a basket case than they ever have been before. I mean, a lot of that's obvious. We've seen it on on TV with, you know, pipelines blowing up and, you know, the whole city's being burned down and things like that. Um, PG&E was always the easiest utility because they didn't stick you with a massive uh, impact fee and then take forever to do their side of it like East Bay Mud does. Um, but, you know, now it's just, you know, it's it, it costs you more than an impact fee because of the delay. You'll have finished buildings sitting there and PG&E is nowhere to be found to, you know, to do the final power hookup. If you've even gotten that far, you may not even be able to pave your street because you don't have your utility trench installed yet. Even if you install it yourself, which PG&E gives you the option to do, which East Bay Mud does not, they have to do that them themselves. So on the constraint side of it, you know, those are serious constraints that, that housing faces and, and has faced, but they've gotten a lot worse in the last eight years. Um, and then you mentioned the BART parking, you know, Castor Valley, we didn't even want that BART station there. We wanted it out on the edge of town because we didn't want the crime and everything that comes with the BART station. And then they put housing in there and took up a bunch of the parking for that. And uh, pre-COVID, yeah, that, that lot was packed every day by eight o'clock. And I'm sure those days will return. So in a, in a BART parking space replacement program, you know, is that done on a one-to-one -one basis or is that subject to negotiation between the county, the developer, and BART? So, I mean, do we, if, if you develop the whole parking lot and we lose 400 spaces, do we only get 200 replaced? I'm trying to, I don't know if that's how the rules for that are set up, but that would obviously be a concern. 
And then on the on the church on Grove Way and Redwood Road, um, I'm one, so is it the intent of the of staff here to do a bunch of general plan amendments on these? Because a lot of these parcels, at least that one in particular, you know, is, you can't put residential on it. The, the current zoning prohibits that. So, and that includes the church parcel. It's not just Trader Joe's. They're both zoned the same. There's actually, I think there's split zoning. There's like a weird bag in a line going through the church or something. But, um, and, you know, that was the, when I was on the Mac, the church brought forward this proposal for a three phase or four phase, 200, 250 unit project there. And the biggest problem was uh, the current zoning prohibited it and there wasn't support for general plan amendment. So I'm wondering what is staff's position on that? And obviously not just this site, but you're identifying a lot of commercial sites um, that aren't necessarily gonna go the mixed use route. I like Crunch Fitness and some of these others, so I don't know. I don't know what staff's intention is for all that. Are we do we have to give up all that commercial now for residential, uh, or or what the you know what the what the plan is there? Um, sorry to hog all the time. I was making notes if you were going through this. Uh, the other thing too is um, some of the other sites like around Rite Aid, the mobile home parks. I didn't see those highlighted at this point, and so I, I mean there's a ton of units to be had there um, just under the current zoning. So, I mean, if you upzone that, yeah, I think you can already go four or five stories on some of those. So if you upzone that to a higher density, you could go even more and you get to the point where, you know, it makes sense to remove the motor, the mobile homes and put in a, you know, a low income housing or a part low income housing uh, to replace the housing that's lost. So I didn't know what staff's approach was in in those because I I don't remember if those were in the last site's inventory or not. Those so those are my comments. Thank you, Mark. Any other comments for Liz? Yeah, I would um the presentation's great. I appreciate being kept in the loop. Um I'd encourage you, I'm sure you are, Liz, but to look at the feedback letters that are going out from HCD to the folks who are getting rejected. I've been reviewing a lot in my day job. And one thing I will say that I think you have a lot of commitments you'll be making in your draft of what the county is working to change in terms of constraints. HCD is almost obsessed with timelines in those sorts of new programs or reviews of limitations. Um, and not necessarily how quickly they are, but how specific they are in that sort of information. Um, a lot of drafts have been rejected over that kind of stuff, which isn't really substantive so much as they're wanting there to be a plan for follow through, which I think is pretty new compared to where it has been in the past. Um, the other thing is, you know, some of these identified sites, um, they get real, they're really, you know, interested in it's good you're doing the outreach to the business owners and the property owners, because I've seen a lot of places where there's a grocery store and it's a lovely site to knock down the 30 year old grocery store, put the grocery store back on the ground floor with housing. Um, but they almost don't want to count those sorts of things unless they have some kind of indication that the property owner wants to do that. 
Um, and those can be really big numbers, like something like the gym, for example. Um, I, I am curious outside of the actual efforts of the housing plan, which I think is moving along. I agree with a lot of Merck's comments. We're out of compliance now. And then, you know, how we got here, I I am frustrated. I'm fr mostly frustrated because it seemed like it was a, I feel like it should have come to us before it happened that we were in danger of this. And I think that um, it was unfortunate that didn't occur. I also think seeing how many other jurisdictions are out of compliance means it's not really a county issue. I mean, it is something we need to think about in the, in the future, how we make these important deadlines, but there are, I mean, it's, it's not, it's like two thirds of jurisdictions in Alameda, Contra Costa, Solano County are out of compliance. And so um, I don't know if people just didn't, weren't able to prioritize it with COVID, if folks didn't see how much bigger the requirements had gotten, the staffing's down. But at some point very soon, my understanding is we're going to see this impacting applications and our ability to make decisions. And I just hope that if that is happening, I will be very, I don't want someone to come to us in one meeting asking us to approve something with different rules without our having had a heads up about what that's going to look like if, if we get there, um, which maybe we won't. But, you know, my understanding is we could get there. And it's really just depending on what individual actors decide to do in the development community. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not asking for a, a report on that. But if we are going to start seeing projects like that, it would be good for us to know what we're getting into before we're into it. Um, the last thing is, is I noticed calling out renters as a special category for housing, which I thought on one hand, I thought renters aren't really a special interest. I mean, they're, they're kind of a large group of people. On the other hand, I thought it was really appropriate to pay a very close attention to that segment. We've seen so much, so little of the projects we've, we've approved recently have been, you know, for sale. So few condos or townhomes, it's been so many apartments. Um, I am curious as we see the results come out, you know, are we hitting, you know, what we're hitting in terms of affordability and rents, but also in terms of um, home ownership and, and, you know, missing middle kind of housing where, you know, if we're going to not have these townhomes and condos and kind of starter homes, if you will, how people are going to make that leap, which isn't really part of the housing plan, but I think is something as we're approving our zoning changes and we're looking at how we're going to get compliance on the different affordability categories, what, what those changes are making. Um, if we are getting rid of a lot of opportunities for purchase in some of this new housing um, and what that means for the makeup and economic vitality of the community. So um, thank you so much for your work and thank you for keeping us updated. Okay. Well, Liz, I think everybody here appreciates your work. And I, I look forward to uh, hearing more and actually seeing more projects coming forward. However, that step is going to happen. It's going to be uh, interesting. Any other questions, Liz? Or We got a hand up in the audience. Oh, I can't see it. 
Go ahead. Uh, I can go ahead and call the speakers now if you'd like. I didn't realize there were speakers. I yeah. can't wait for regular meeting. All right. Uh, Kelly A, you are allowed to speak or you're able to speak. Thank you. Um, you uh, you might put public comment down on each item because you routinely uh, run over it and ignore it. Um, the Castor, let's look at the Castor Valley BART station as an example of just how incompetent um, your uh, planning commission and your MAC and your uh, planners have been. Um, for example, we just heard about oh how the BART demand for BART parking is going to come back. Well, you know BART is running at thirty five percent capacity ridership on weekdays uh, right now. And it's been that way ever since the pandemic. And and they don't, the BART management themselves have no expectation of that coming back. They see a structural shift in the workforce uh, and the amount and the demand for commuters going to San Francisco. Uh, so, you know, this kind of and you're whistling in the in the in the dark. And uh, Castor Valley built 70 units a block away on Norbridge. Remember that? Uh, that just approved it on February 28th. That was exactly a year ago with 30 units per acre. Now the new minimum density at Castor Valley BART is 75 units an acre. That shows you what you've been doing. When you thought you were building high density, it turns out you know 30 units an acre is a lot less than 75 units. Um, and, and this idea of, oh, let's look at how many units are being allocated to each city. It's kind of like asking, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Let's look at some of the information that Ms. McGillicutt forgot to put in this report. She keeps pointing at this 1800 unit RENA allocation for the last cycle. Do you know how many units actually got built in the last cycle? Something like five or 600. What does that mean? You were at 30% of your allocation. This unincorporated Alameda County was one of the worst performing cities in, in the Bay Area not just in the county, in the Bay Area. Um, it ranks down there with San Leandro and Union City in terms of housing production. And all this talk that we've been hearing about, oh, forward looking, this is the key. Uh, when you failed in the past, failed miserably and come up at about 30% of your, of your, of your requirement, um, you 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 don't look at the past. You don't mention the past. You don't uh, you don't uh, you don't uh, you don't own up to your failures. You just gloss over them. Not even gloss over them. You just go right past them. Don't put them in your reports. That's what it completely missing from this report by Ms. Miguelica today. Um, that just the and then go right ahead to the future. By the way, Dublin, city of Dublin, produced a lot of housing units. It's the leader in the state. Um, I'll send you guys a, a newspaper article about with all these numbers from the San Francisco Chronicle, the kind of articles that you would never get from your planning department. Thanks. I uh, don't, don't see any other hands up on this item. Okay. So final comment. Go ahead. Um, so Liz, I guess I want to, first of all, I want to thank you for the work that you've done on this. I, I think you've, uh, you're doing really good work on a difficult job. Um, but I wanted to ask you if, if you will be able to produce that, uh, table that shows the units for communities with a comparison of the fifth and sixth, sixth cycle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, and, and. Uh, your earlier comment was correct that we're still kind of finalizing 
um, the the sites and and you know which communities uh, uh, which sites we're looking at in, in the communities. So we uh, we will produce that table um, once we're more sure of of what the the final properties will be. And then do you, I'd also ask at the last meeting when the planning commission would get a, a copy of the draft sites. Um, that will be, uh, I, I believe at the same time as the um, the public review draft is released, which will be um, uh, toward the end of March. End of March, okay. Thank you. All right, well, thank you, Liz. You're welcome, thank you. If I, if I could just add one more comment, which is, um, you know, this was just an update for the Planning Commission since our last update. This is hardly a comprehensive uh, staff report on everything that staff has done to look into the, um, housing goals and, and meeting our arena requirements. And I think a lot of the work that is being done by staff, especially, you know, reaching out to property owners instead of just writing what we hope property owners might decide to do is intended to make this year's cycle, this cycle of the housing element, more accurately reflect what um, is likely to happen as a result of policy changes that we didn't perhaps do in the last cycle. Um, and I think that's also part of why things are taking longer. But, you know, this is one of many, many updates and hardly comprehensive. It wasn't intended to be a comprehensive update. It was an update to this commission is what's happened since our last uh, update. And so, you know, staff really has worked very hard to incorporate those along with a ton of shifts in state legislation. I think staff, though very stressed clearly to get this moving along uh, to completion, should be proud of the work they're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that moves us on to staff comments and correspondence. Albert, any? Uh, nothing um, in addition to what we've already uh, presented to you today. Um, I will, um, if I do get more information about our next meeting and um, the uh, the hybrid nature of that meeting, I'll, I will share it with you before that meeting so that there's no surprises. Um, definitely wanna try to keep surprises to a minimum. And so uh, other than that though, no other comments. Okay, thank you. Yes, I'm looking forward to meeting in person. You know, I'm sorry, I did have one more thing um, if I could. Uh, there was a comment um, or a, a desire for there to be um, uh, county emails for planning commissioners. I know we talked about this before and it seems like something that should be a little easier than what it, apparently it is. I, I, and I don't know, I think that right now, Commissioner Crawford might be one of the only commissioners that I know of because you know he pops up in my, in my email as a planning commissioner that's using a county issued email. What I understand from our IT folks is that you know, it would require, um, if you're gonna be checking your county email on your personal devices for like including cell phones and all that, for there to be a multi-factor authentication be installed on your phone and, and which would make it potentially discoverable if somebody wanted to 
if there was a public uh, records act request for emails. So there is, you know, there's still, there's some detail there that, um, you know, I, I think that um, I, I still like, would like to share with the planning commission, just because, you know, I, it, it's not as easy as just issuing you an email that you check from time to time. I think there's more involved because of some of the, the uh, uh, privacy and protection policies of the county related to, you know, digital communications and all that. So uh, for now, we do have a general email that somebody can send. Uh, it's planningcommission at acgov.org. And then, um, you know, staff receives that email and then we'll forward it on to you um, at your, at your, mostly it's all your private emails. And so that's the, the, the process that we have now that, you know, seems to work. Um, but having uh, a county email apparently is a little bit more involved than than I than what I thought, and so um, I could share what I got from our IT folks with you in a separate email, just so that you have that uh, as well. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> no chair report, commission announcement, comments or reports. Mark. Yeah, I'll just respond to that. Um... You know, I've had a county email for 12, 13 years now. And um, the only difference I see with it is you can't include it in Gmail or, um, you know, Outlook. You have to use, you have to go into the county server. But, you know, once, I, I, I didn't really find that to be that difficult to set up on my desktop or my phone. Um, it all comes through. The, I don't know about this double authentication. I think that's something that you set up initially and it happens automatically. Um, so I don't, I don't see the difficulty in it. Um, there, we do have, you know, people that are continuing to come to these meetings and saying they want to send us stuff. They did send stuff. We never got it. And I don't think that looks good. So I, I think we do need to make more of an effort here. And if, you know, commissioners don't want to use, uh, you know, a county email, they can use their personal email. I mean, when we're, we get notices of these meetings, there's personal emails for commissioners and, you know, as how they're getting these notices. So um, one way or another, I think that the community we serve should have a direct email to us because the current process isn't working and people keep telling us it's not working. And to say, you know, to excuse that off as, you know, it's too tough for us to get it in place, which, I mean, when I was on the Mac, everybody on the Mac had had county email, so it's not rocket science. Um, so I don't know where Albert's coming from on that, but that's not been my experience. So, Andy. Oh, I just wanted to add, I have a county email. Noma set it up when I joined the planning commission, but I've never used it. I don't know how to log into it because I use my personal email, but. You know, I also had some staff changes and maybe she knew how to do it a different way, but um, I thought it was standard practice when I joined the commission six years ago that county commissioners were given um, county emails, at least it was at the time. Yeah, I can tell you one phone call to county IT in five minutes, you're up and running. It's the people that are very helpful. It's not difficult to do, so not a, not a big deal. But I, you can, I think you should be able to use your personal if you want to use your personal, just so long as we put it, you know, on our, on our web page so people can send us something directly that they want to send us. The, the public should be able to do that 
without it being filtered or not sent through county staff. Uh, I agree. I mean, it sure would make our lives a lot easier if folks could reach out to you directly. Um, I'll I'll send you the email that I got from our IT folks, um, and that definitely didn't mean to discourage us trying to solve this issue. I just think that it was a bit more involved than what I thought. I also just want to clarify for my fellow commissioners, because someone said it wasn't. If you have personal correspondence about the Planning Commission, it is still discoverable by a Freedom of Information Act request. It does not matter what email address you're using. I don't want anyone to think from the statement that was made that your communications about the Planning Commission aren't public record. Right. Interesting. Oh, Andrea's got our county council wants to weigh in on that issue. If I might, I, I just want to confirm what uh, Commissioner Kelly just said. It doesn't matter what device you are using. If you are communicating about the public's business or no matter that may come before the commission, um, it, it is a public record and it is discoverable. Um, I do, however, want to add that if, if there are communications that are coming to you directly, um, you, in many cases, and probably most cases, want to make sure that that information is included in the administrative record for items that do further come to you so that there is, uh, number one, disclosure to the public, so that they are, are both sides of the issue are aware of communications um, and can respond to information provided to you that may not be stated during the public record and that can be included in the administrative record as the matter goes forward. So even though you know certainly it is allowable to have direct communication to you, it's important that uh, that information also get shared back with planning so that they can add it to the to the system. Thank you. Thank you. So let me get that straight. If we have a direct information, somehow we have to get that back to the county. So if someone communicates directly to you on a matter that is coming before the planning commission, uh, say for example, it's a conditional use permit and you have not disclosed on the record the information, it's an ex parte communication that you have received from others and, and, and it added that information either in a summary form or in the actual documents itself, then we have a due process issue um, because both sides of the issue should be able to hear and understand and to respond to the information that is shared to you by the other side, for lack of a better terminology. And so it's important that you either make that disclosure verbally on the record or the information itself, whether it's an email or other writing gets included in the administrative record so that your colleagues can see it and understand what information is important to you or what you have relied upon in making your decision and that the public can also see it and be aware of it. And again, either respond to it, uh, echo it or, or disagree with it in some form or fashion. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, and Jim, the way I handle that normally is uh, like, let's say Bruce King sends you something on an application that we're looking at, like he stated he did a meeting or two ago. You know, I would just, what, the way I handled that was I brought it up during the meeting. I said, I got this email from Bruce King. He's, you know, he said this and that. He's here today. He's going to talk about it or whatever, but I would I would always try to refer to those communications in the public hearing on that application. Uh, same thing with the applicant. Um, sometimes, you know, the applicant may send you something and you may not respond to it because maybe you don't want to be lobbied on a particular project or something like that. But um, 
that's that's the way I, I handled it. I didn't find that to be uh, a problem. So is your main concern that you're not getting information through the county? Yeah, I think when members of the public come to a public hearing, and, I, and I, this happened a lot at the MAC as well, and said, you know, I sent this in and, you know, staff didn't forward it to you. I specifically, there are times where staff does forward stuff to us. We get stuff from Maria a day or two ahead of time or whatever, sometimes same day. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think that's a complaint that's easily solvable. And when we were on the Mac, we got a cvmac.com domain, which for some reason has gone away since recently, but you know, and then all of our county emails were there. Uh, so, so if anybody came into a Mac meeting like this gentleman in public comment today with the, the ADU issue, I would tell them go to cvmac.com. All of our emails are there. Feel free to communicate with us. Uh, through there. And it's just simple. Nobody's got to write it down. You know, it's easy to find later. Uh, and now these, now this member of the public feels like they have a better avenue of direct communication with you, the decision maker, than what the status quo is. Okay. All right. Well, this has been uh, quite an interesting meeting. Thoroughly enjoyed seeing you guys. Happy New Year because I missed the first one. And uh, if there's nothing else said, I move for adjournment. Thank you. We'll nice see, see you at the next one. See you in person at the next That's one. That's right. In person. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. Take right. care.